0: Uh, It is my privilege and honor to welcome my friend, my prophet, uh, Pastor Greg Peake. Let's give him a shout. Thank you so much. Good evening, everybody. It's so weird to be up on the stage and not down on the floor with you guys, but I can see everyone now, which is awesome. Um, This is the last of our God's Generals series. Who's enjoyed it? It's been amazing. Um, as I was just thinking about the fact that it's the last one and just thinking about some of the people that we've spoken about, it really dawned on me that every single one of the people we have spoken about are human beings. (laughs) And what I mean by that is that they are following the example of Jesus. Do you know that Jesus was a human being? Hold that for a moment. He was absolutely man and absolutely God. And he had everything that you and I have, he had full access to the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus is the ultimate example of a man, a full human being, being fully and completely submitted to the Holy Spirit. And so when we see Jesus healing and preaching and doing what he's doing, it's because he is a human being who is fully submitted to the Holy Spirit. He didn't have any other advantage over you and I and that he had absolute full access to the Holy Spirit. But you and I have that also. And as we spoke about Nicholas Bengu, as we spoke about Charles Wesley, as we spoke about um, William J. Seymour last week, they are just human beings fully submitted to the Holy Spirit. And that's what you and I can be. And today we're gonna talk about a wonderful uh, person called Lucy Farrow, a woman. All the ladies in the house shouted yay. I am... Pastor Roger was asking me if I was going to do the first-person thing, and I was like, I will be so tempted to pull out my Whoopi Goldberg impersonation from the color purple, and that would just be offensive. So I'm going to refrain from that. (laughs) Why, chilling of faith. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And that's all you're getting from me. Uh, But... I didn't really know a lot about Lucy Farrow, and it's been such a joy and delight to research her and read about her life, and the Lord has just really encouraged my heart through her her life, and I really know that He's going to do the same for you. And I've entitled my sermon tonight, Walking in the Spirit. Galatians 5 verse 25 in the King James Version says, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Lucy Farrow has been described as the forgotten apostle of Pentecost. And as God's woman behind the Azusa Street Revival of 1906 that rocked the world. Pastor Carroll spoke a little bit more about that last week. She was born sometime around 1850. She herself did not know exactly when her birth date was. And she was born into slavery in the state of Virginia in the United States of America. She was the niece of a powerful black abolitionist. And somewhere in her early teens, her and her family were emancipated and allowed to live their lives as they determined. As a black woman living in the South during Reconstruction, life would not have been easy. But in spite of being continually confronted with prejudice and injustice, she became a powerful voice in the early Pentecostal revival and provided the spark in Los Angeles that would ignite the revival that has spread across the world and impacted all of Christendom. She is an example of how one can become a force for God and good, even in the most difficult and aggravating of circumstances. As I was reading about her life, I was trying to imagine if somebody had said to her, "Lucy," one day in Johannesburg, South Africa in 2020 20, are we 2017 oh my word, I wish I was three years younger, Marsha, that's what's going on there. Um, they're going to be preaching about you. Do you think she would have believed them? A little slave girl from Virginia. And what this made me think is that Romans 2 verse 11 says, for God shows no partiality. And so I want to tell you tonight, I don't care where you came from. Do you know what? Even more than me not caring, God doesn't care where you came from. And God doesn't care how you got here. And I wanna tell you tonight that when God looks at your life and even he sees the abuse and the affliction and the suffering of your life, that when he looks at your life and he sees all the stumbling blocks littered in your way, that all he sees is the full potential he has put inside of you to be great and amazing. And it's time that we believe that. God has made a habit of proving his lack of partiality. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 27 says, But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. And we see so many examples of that in the Bible. Some of the people we've even spoken about this year Moses, who was basically cast away as an orphan belonging to a despised and belittled people who spent 40 years in the desert after he murdered a man covered in sheep dung, convinced that God had forgotten him. But his God was mighty. And now we know Moses as possibly the greatest leader of Israel, as the lawgiver, as the one who instituted society and godliness, the tabernacle maker into Israel think of David. Something fishy about David's life is that he wasn't quite as equal as his powerful, strong, handsome brothers. And yet, this uh, sheep herding ginger, (laughs) David was redheaded, he was ruddy. (laughs) This sheep herding ginger became the most powerful king Israel has ever seen. David had a bit of a lust problem. If you look at how he came by some of his seven wives, you realize there was something, a little dodge going on there. We know he had a lust problem because he had the husband of his baby mama murdered so that he could cover up his sin. But when we think about David, that's the last thing we think about. We think about a man after God's own heart because his God was mighty. And the list goes on. There's Gideon, there's Peter, there's Paul, who started off persecuting Christians and took 14 years to prove that he was really born again and on their side. But God does amazing things through foolishness. And so we are not as surprised that you and I are talking about Lucy Pharaoh tonight. And I want to tell you that the God she worshiped is the same God you and I worship. If we will choose to submit our hearts and our lives to him and choose to live and walk by his spirit and not by our own selfish desires, he can and will make us great. Who wants to be great? You're going to get it. And so Lucy moved to Houston, Texas, probably around 1900, and she would have been about 50. And by this time, she was a widow and had borne seven children, only two of whom were alive. She became the pastor of a small black holiness congregation. In Houston, she would have lived under southern Jim Crow laws that were passed by southern states to keep blacks in their place. Very similar to apartheid in South Africa, these laws mandated racially segregated public facilities, including separate public restrooms and drinking fountains, and separate seating in restaurants and on buses. Public schools were segregated, and voting laws made it next to impossible for blacks to vote in elections. These laws, however, were only outward manifestations of a deeply ingrained prejudice and hatred that Pharaoh faced every single day of her life. But whereas she could have become bitter, which which would have been completely understandable, she allowed the faith and love of God to so fill her heart that she was able to be used by God to minister powerfully to both blacks and whites in the fledgling Pentecostal revival. In Houston, she met Charles Parham, who was preaching a message about a baptism in the Holy Spirit that would be accompanied by speaking in tongues, which he called the biblical evidence. Do you know, young people, <laughs> as somebody who recently turned 46, I feel like I can call you all young people, you need to realize that you sit here tonight night with 2,000 plus years of Christian history behind you. You need to realize that some of the stuff that is just daily occurrence for you, people had to bleed and die for so that you could have it. Yes, let's give them a round of applause. Those are saints who've gone before us. Do you know that we live in a world where you must probably have three or four Bibles on a shelf and access to every version that's ever existed on your iPhone? That is only possible over the last 400 plus years. Do you get that? And it's the same with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that at one point, it was totally lost from the church. And it took really brave, courageous people willing to look like idiots to get it back. Today, we just invite you to the front and we pray for you and you receive the Holy Spirit and you speak in tongues because of what has gone before you. And I wonder What are we going to contend for that future generations will look back to us and say, because they contended, we have it today. We need to get a hold of that. (laughs) So people did not just pray in tongues in those days. And Charles Parham told her about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that had occurred in his Bethel Bible College in Topeka, Kansas, in January 1901, when virtually every student had been baptized in the Holy Spirit and spoken in tongues. Pharaoh attended Parham's meetings, probably in a segregated area, and was intrigued by what she heard. She acquainted herself with Parham and his wife, Sarah, and when the Parhams returned to Los Angeles, they invited her to go with them and live in their home, acting as a governance a governess, sorry, particularly in the the care of their small children. And this is something about her life that amazes me. Galatians 5 22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. Walking in the Spirit requires us to deal with our character. Think about this. A black woman emancipated from slavery, voluntarily saying, I'll go work for a white family. See, it just sounds like a story on paper. She wanted the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so we need to deal with our character. She had every right to hate those very white people. But she didn't. She loved God more Walking in the Spirit requires us to continually judge our own hearts before God and to let Him remove from us everything that is not of love. As I've, been struck, as I've been reading about Lucy's story, I've been so struck by the choices she made to love. There is no description of the process she went through to make this a reality in her life, but the descriptions of her heart and character I have read made it clear that she made a choice to leave bitterness and hatred behind And that her goal was to minister to others in the same way God had ministered to her. Isn't that amazing? She must have found a way to let God speak into her past and to let him heal and restore her soul. She literally ministered to absolutely anybody who wanted to be baptized in the Holy Spirit without any partiality. And later on, she selflessly moved to the African nation of Liberia to minister to those who had not yet heard of the Holy Spirit baptism there. While she was in the Parham's home, Pharaoh experienced the baptism in the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues. And this proved to be the turning point in her life that positioned her to be an um, important catalyst in what would turn out to be the most dynamic and fastest growing movement in modern Christendom, the modern Pentecostal charismatic movement. If you're wondering what you are, you are a modern Pentecostal charismatic. Somebody scream hoo-hoo for that. There we go. Um, and that is just fact. We can, we can absolutely ascertain that charismatics are the fastest growing movement in the church today. The world wants to tell you that Christianity is dying. That is a lie. People are being baptized in the Holy Spirit and praying tongues all over the globe. And it's going to be like that until Jesus comes in about 3,000 years. Um, under her influence, William J. Seymour enrolled in Parham's Bible School, where he learned about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the Bible evidence of speaking in tongues. This is the man Carol spoke about last week, who is um, accounted as the founder and leader of the Azusa Street vi- Revival. But can you see, no, nothing happens in a vacuum. Um, although he did not receive the experience while in the school, he was convinced of its veracity and began to t- preach it to others. Isn't that amazing? He was so convicted of the truth of it that even though he didn't have it, he kept telling other people they could have it. <laughs> and Pharaoh, demonstrating the true humility of her character, volunteered to be the cook of the school. James four verse 10 says, "Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will exalt you." And Mark 9:35 says, "And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, "If anyone will be first, he must be last of all." And servant of all. And walking in the Spirit is going to require deep humility from us. Walking in the Spirit means that we're going to need to make sacrifices. That means that we're going to set aside things that might be good and might even be valuable to us, but that in the long run will not lead us into the fullness of knowing God. It's getting serious in here, isn't it? You see, when Lucy was convicted by God that she needed the baptism of the Holy Spirit, her passion and love for God drove her to do whatever was required to make sure she got it. Even working as a governess in the Parhams home. And it seems like she did that job with great joy and really well. Do you get what I'm saying? It wasn't some begrudging thing. Oh, well, if I need the Holy Spirit, then I better just suffer through this. She knew what she wanted and she knew the right heart to have to get it. I found this very convicting when I was reading about her life. And there was this personal moment where the Lord said to me, So, Greg, what have you sacrificed lately to get closer to me? And you know what? I didn't have an answer. But I'm not the only one who wants to suffer tonight, so I'm going to ask you that question as well. (laughs) What have you done recently? What have you sacrificed recently so that you could get more of God? And when was the last time you did sacrifice to get close to Him? And I really hope that this week we're going to get hungry God, and we're going to find something to sacrifice so that we can push into closeness with Him. I just want to say, and Marsha didn't want us to do this, but I just feel this is important. We are in a season where God is stirring prayer, okay? So as far as possible, come to that Thursday night prayer. Marsha, I just realized I have an appointment that Thursday, so I can't be here, which I'm very sorry about, but I'm going to come as far as I can. We're going to do them every Thursday, so make sure you come to those because God is going to do awesome things as we pray. William J. Seymour invited Lucy to teach the people at Azusa Street, Los Angeles, about the baptism in the Holy Spirit, and pray for them to receive the experience. Pharaoh was 56 when she came to Azusa. And I feel like this speaks of Seymour's humility. Remember what I said? He knew it was real, and he preached it, but he hadn't received it himself, so he wasn't sure how to impart it to others. But when he watched Lucy, and he saw that she had the power to impart it, he didn't get jealous. He didn't get all freaked out. He didn't start preaching against her as a minion of Satan. He rather went, that's God, and I want my people to have that. And he said, you come and teach, and you come and pray, and I'm going to learn from you. That's humility. We need humility. John 14, verse 15 says, sorry, I missed a bit. Um, So, um... No one associated with the prayer meetings led by Seymour had spoken in tongues until Pharaoh, at Seymour's request, arrived on the scene and began laying her hands on people and seeing God fill them with the Holy Spirit, as in the book of Acts. John 14, verse 15 says, You are my friends if you do what I command. And so walking in the Spirit requires us to be radically obedient. See, this is the reality of Christianity it's all or nothing. See, Jesus didn't spiritually die on the cross. Are you getting that? Jesus didn't symbolically like hang beautifully (laughs) wrapped in white. If you haven't seen The Passion of the Christ, please go see it. It's literally the most violent movie I've ever watched. And experts tell us that that only comes about 50% true of how punished Jesus was. Like he physically, you've got to understand, Jesus felt every lash, every bit of pain, because he had to, because that is what we deserved for our sin. And so Christianity, one of the things that makes it different in world religions is that it's all or nothing. To to be a Christian, you have to believe it all and practice it all, or really there is no point. Every other religion, you can kind of dabble, you can kind of figure out how involved you want to get, But in Christianity, it's about relationship. And relationship requires everything you are. Acquaintance just is like, hey, (laughs) hope she doesn't sit next to me in church. (laughs) But relationship is everything you are. Relationship is I see you. I know you see me. Oh, darn it. I feel like now you've seen the bad bits of me too. But goodness, we're going to just keep going with this thing because it's worth it. That's relationship. Relationship. And so Christianity is about obedience. We are not slaves. We are friends. Listen to what it says there. You are my friends if you do what I command you. And this is weird for us to understand, but God doesn't want slaves. He wants friends. But friends know your heart. Friends have got your back. Friends help you fulfill the vision you carry for your life. If your friends aren't doing that, they are not your friends. Get new friends. That's for free. And so this is what Jesus means. He says, if you truly love me and you are my friends, and you will do as I say, because guess what? I'm the best friend you will ever have. And everything I tell you to do is for your own darn good. Why are you second guessing me all the time? He says that to me a lot. I don't have a real answer for that. And so Lucy had a very radical approach to obedience. Are you ready to hear how radical her approach was? If the Bible says it, if the Holy Spirit says it, do it. That's profound, isn't it? But that's how radical her approach was. So now, I don't know if you caught that, but she was the only one in that prayer meeting, when she read the Bible... Just in her simple thinking, she saw, oh, they lay on hands and then they pray and then the Holy Spirit comes and they speak in tongues. Ah, now Parham had all these students in a Bible school and they read about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And somebody asked, hold on, what is that? And nobody had an answer. So as a Bible school, they did this radical thing where they just kept reading the Bible. And they saw all these bits about the Holy Spirit and they started putting them together. And what they realized was, well, the first time the Holy Spirit came, you know, the law of first mention, the first time anything happens in the Bible is the most important time. And everything else that flows out of it will be dictated by what happened that first time. So what did they do the first time? Well, they tarried. It's an old English word that means wait. They went to the upper room and they waited because Jesus commanded them and said, wait until the comforter comes. Now, it was about 40 days, I think, after he rose again. Somebody with church history helped me, aren't you? But I think that's what happened. So they were praying every single day, night and day for 40 days. They didn't even know what they were praying for. So Parham students were like, this is how we get the Holy Spirit. None of these amazing people who'd figured that out from the Bible saw the laying on of hands. So some of them tarried for a year before that massive outpouring that spoke about. Of course, they all got it because their hearts were being filled with faith. But Lucy, simple woman that she was, just went, oh, they lay hands on them and the Holy Spirit comes and they pray in tongues. Hmm. And she had success. (laughs) So what I'm trying to say there is she read the Bible and then she obeyed it. She didn't read seven other books to explain what it was about and then talk herself out of doing anything valuable. She just read the Bible, and she did it. When the Bible says, pray in time of trouble, what should you do? When the Bible says, trust God because he's good, what should we do? You're all like Lucy. It's amazing. (laughs) Psalm 119 says, your word is a lamp to my feet to my path. Are we living from the Word of God? You see, we want to find answers, and we want to come to church and listen to people talk (laughs) to find the answer, but all we need to do is read the Bible, let it convict our hearts, and then act on it. Let's give that a risk. Let's be radical obedience Christians. If the Bible says it, do it. So probably out of her deep sense of need, Pharaoh had developed a radical dependence on God and a rare sensitivity to his Holy Spirit. She never had a prayer line approach in praying for people, but only prayed as she was prompted by the Holy Spirit. Pharaoh lived by faith, having no settled fund from which to draw, but trusting God to meet every need as she walked in the obedience for him. Pharaoh sailed to Africa, to Liberia, from where her ancestors had been brought as slaves to America. She settled in Johnsonville, and she carried out a ministry of preaching, teaching, praying for the sick, and leading people into the baptism in the Holy Spirit. It was reported that many were brought to Christ during her short stay in that country. And so walking in the Spirit requires a faith that leads to obedience, a faith that acts. James 2, verse 17 to 18 says, So also faith by itself, if it does not have words, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. And so walking in the Spirit is gonna require a a trust and a willingness in us to take risks. In my life, this is how I've seen God do this. God will inspire my heart with a great idea, with something that I should do, Learn to prophesy. Yes, Lord. Jesus, make me a prophet. Make me a prophet. Make me a prophet. Oh, God, why do you hate me? Okay, I'm going to trust you. Make me a prophet. Then she goes like, start prophesying. Yeah, we're going to feel the burn tonight. Prayer is powerful. But seriously, people, we've all prayed enough. Do something! (laughs) Okay, now some of you are truly offended and want to leave. That's okay. But are you catching me? Yes, let's pray, but let's do something. How it works in my life is God will inspire my heart with something. This year, he said to me, Greg, we need more counselors, and you're going to raise them up. I was like, oh, my Lord. I don't want to do that. (laughs) That sounds scary, and I feel like there's legal implications. So I procrastinated and I procrastinated because I'm human, and eventually I was like, okay, and I prayed. I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. I said, God, give us the right people, I said, God, help me to figure it out. Do you know that we only started raising up counselors when I asked people, do you want to learn how to be a counselor, and 15 of them said yes, much to my shock and horror. (laughs) Then I was, okay, what do we do next? I prayed, but I looked on the I just started doing things. Guess what happened, as I started doing things, I figured out other things to do. As I figured out other things to do, God showed me people who could help. Guess what, I didn't actually have to raise up counselors, I just had to have the faith for it, and trust that God would lead me in the right direction. And we got some professionals in, and we had the most amazing time, and from next year there's gonna be a whole pile of new counselors in the church, so please come for counseling, because you need it. <laughs> but wait till February. And so, this is how faith works. Faith is okay, God, I see there's a problem, and I'm gonna start praying that you fill the problem. I wanna tell you, every problem you are praying about, God has put gifts, opportunities, and relationships in your life to actually start dealing with it. So, if, you're not, if you don't really care about the problem you're praying for, stop it. Because God's gonna make you involved there. And so, faith without works is dead. And as millennials, I want to encourage you. We're going to do a whole sermon for you on how do you make a decision. It's going to be amazing. Come back in a few months. (laughs) It's going to be amazing. We are people of faith. Every single one of you has faith. How do I know that? Because Jesus said, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, it is tiny. I cook with mustard seeds. They are tiny. And Jesus said, if you have that amount of faith, tiny faith, you can tell this mountain to throw itself in the sea and it will do it. Have we ever seen that happen? So what that tells me is between nothing and mustard seeds, you have faith. The issue isn't about more or less faith, the issue is about strong and weak faith. And our faith is only weak like my muscles because I don't do anything with them. If I went to gym and started hammering weights around, you'd be impressed, (laughs) Siv. My goal is not to lose weight. I'm going to just make this part big enough to hide this part. That also feels like too much work. (laughs) So wrong. Um, But the point I'm making is, yes, pray, but do something. Do you know that fear is the worst thing we can possibly give ear to? The whole point of life is to risk. Have you, I was watching a three-year-old today throw a screaming fit, and it was so funny, because I realized she was trying to learn what the boundaries are, and she took a risk, and so guess what? <laughs> she, she found her boundary, <laughs> but she wasn't scared to take the risk. What is our problem? You are going to learn more from any failure you ever make in this life than you will from any excess success you have. And honestly, I counsel a lot of people. And the older I get and the more I counsel, I believe that the power of God can bring us back from almost anything. And so why are we so scared? It's okay to be nervous. It's okay to be a little shaky. But do something and figure it out. We are called to partner with God. Let us do that. Pharaoh returned to Los Angeles and lived out her final years in a small faith cottage located behind the Azusa Street Mission. Many visited her to receive her wisdom and prayers. Many testified as being healed and baptized in the Holy Spirit or having received a greater infilling of the Spirit through her prayers until she passed away in her early 60s. And She didn't even know the legacy she was leaving behind, that she is one of the mothers of the Pentecostal revival. She didn't know that. She didn't care. She just loved Jesus. I think she was a little addicted to the Holy Spirit because he's kind of addictive. You know, life can be really boring sometimes in our modern world. And sometimes we get bored with God. And all that's saying is that we haven't pushed deeply enough into the Holy Spirit. When I get a bit bored with God, I remember the supernatural God I serve who absolutely loves to break into this finite natural world and just shake it up. I remember how the Lord has used me in the gift of prophecy. You know, I prophesy so much that sometimes I forget it's supernatural. So can you believe that? And, and I've really gone off to words of knowledge. How do you grow in the gifts of the Spirit? Well, you just ask. This is one of the things I've done. Lord, I want to get better at words of knowledge. Help me to get better at words. Now, remember what I said before. That means I have to give a whole lot of bad words of knowledge. <laughs> till I get to the good ones. So I've lived through every awkward, embarrassing moment of, you did this, no, okay, you did that, no. You're thinking, no, okay, let's just pray. Help me, Jesus. (laughs) But I was once prophesying over some young people in our youth, and I was talking to a 16-year-old boy, and I didn't even realize how powerful this was, but I said to him, wow, you really have a heart for justice, and you stand up for those who who can't speak for themselves. And then this picture popped in my head, and I just said to him, I feel like even this week, like people were bullying somebody, and you stepped in and he jumped. I got such a fright, he just jumped back, and his eyes went this big. And he said to me, I know you're not psychic, but how did you know that? <laughs> this is how exciting the Holy Spirit is. This is what God does in and through us. Dane prays for people, his connect group go and pray for people, and they get healed. And God wants us to do and be amazing in this world. And that's going to happen by walking in the Spirit. And so to sum up, if we're going to walk in the Spirit, then we're going to need to know that it is all about God and through God and not about ourselves, that God is not a respecter of persons, that we deal before God with our character and our attitudes and we allow Him to make us more like Jesus, that we are willing to humble ourselves and make sacrifices to get closer to God. That we will obey God with his word and his word, absolutely. That we will use the faith God has given us to act and accomplish something in this world. And I thought to end with it, we could just do something meditative. And I want all of you just to think in your own hearts. I'm going to just give you a minute. Where are you in walking in the Spirit? When was the last time you sacrificed something to get close to God? When was the last time you were radically obedient? Where are you in walking in the Spirit? And can you make a fresh commitment in your own heart tonight to walk with Him? So let's just be quiet for a minute, and then I'll pray. Father, we just thank you for the life of Lucy Farrell, Lord God. Thank you for the inspiration and challenge she can be to us, Lord. And Father, we just tell you that we want to walk in the Spirit, God. We want to walk with you, Lord Jesus. We want more relationship with the Holy Spirit. We want more flowing with the Holy Spirit. We want more instruction from the Holy Spirit, Lord. And Father, we just tell you that we're going to be obedient people. We're going to be friends who obey your commands. And God, we tell you that we're going to be radically obedient. And that we're going to be willing to make sacrifices. That God, when we catch something that we know will bring us closer to you and fill us with more of you, God, we will make the sacrifice required to go after it just like your daughter Lucy did, Lord God. And Holy Spirit, I pray that right now you would just come and fill us afresh, Lord God that you would just come and fill us afresh, Lord. If you want more of the Holy Spirit, just raise your hands where you are. More of you in our lives, God. We need you, Lord. We need you, Lord. We need you, Lord. You are our source, Lord. You are our goal, Lord, God. You are the power in us, Lord God. And we want you and we need you. Let us hunger and thirst for you, Lord God, every day, God, in every situation we are facing in our lives right now. Speak, Holy Spirit. Bring that supernatural touch of fire to that space, Lord God. We will not bow down to intimidation any longer, Lord God. We will not bow down to fear any longer. You, your love casts out all fear, Lord. And you are the spirit of power and might and of a sound mind, Lord. And so we walk out of this place tonight, God, with more of you.